What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Casual Big Ten Podcast. Today is Monday, July 17th, 2023. On today's show, we're diving deep into Iowa. I'm joined by Trent Condon. He is from Locked On Hawkeyes. On Twitter, Locked On Iowa. Go give them a follow. Awesome show. He does it five days a week, every single week. This is my second week doing five days a week. I don't know how he does this. Shout out to Trent, man. They're doing great work over there. Week two, we got five new episodes. Four of them are going to be fantastic. That fifth one, I still don't have a guest for, so it's probably just going to be me solo. And, uh, you know, that might be fantastic as well. We'll see. We'll find out. That'll be tomorrow. It's Maryland. But today, like I said, it's Iowa. We're going to talk about everything that's happened this offseason. What's going to happen this season for the football team? We're even going to talk about beer. That's going to be exciting. Love beer. Love football. Loved having Trent on. This is going to be a great episode. Hope you guys enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it. Here is uh, Trent Condon. All right. We are now joined by Trent Condon. He is on Twitter at Trent Condon. He's the co-host of the Miller and Condon show. And he is also, more importantly for me, the host of the Locked Locked On Hawkeyes, easy to say, Locked On Hawkeyes uh, podcast. Trent, thank you so much for coming on. I'm super excited to talk to you about Iowa this year. Absolutely. Right there with you, Kent. And yeah, excited to talk a little football here during the offseason. Always a good time as we're just kind of crossing those days off the calendar, trying to get ready for football season. I'm pumped up for it and maybe as optimistic as I've been for an Iowa football season in a long time. That's awesome. I'm really optimistic, too. I, I can't wait to talk about the schedule, the team, and everything. Before we do that, though, I do want to learn a little bit more about you. How'd you get connected with Iowa in the first place? And maybe a little bit about how the podcast Lockdown got started. Yeah, so uh, I've been with the Lockdown Network starting right there for just about a year now. Uh, there was a former host that was there for a number of years, and he stepped away as he was, I believe, starting grad school. So they reached out to me, asked if I could take over the feed, and kind of knew a little bit about the network, knew a couple of uh, people on my radio show guests that have been part of the network. So did a little investigation, seemed like a really good thing, and yeah, been doing it now for just about a year. Really enjoy it, uh, doing those daily hits on the Hawkeyes, and that's what we do in season. It is a daily podcast, five days a week, talking Hawkeyes. About 20 to 30 minutes is usually what we're shooting for there, so on your commute to, to work, coming home, going to school, whatever it is, it's those short little snippets of what's going on inside the world of the Hawkeyes now. This is considered our off-season, June into July, but we'll ramp right back up and we'll be doing a daily show again starting in August. But I still get three, four shows out every single week here, even during the quiet time, if you will. And with the way recruiting's been going here the last couple of days for Iowa football, it's been easy to find a lot of content. Uh, for, for me, though, outside of the Lockdown Hawkeye side of things, I've been doing radio for 20 years now, uh, starting back when I was in school, uh, something that I always wanted to do, really enjoyed sports radio. Now, initially, when I went to school at the University of Iowa, I wanted to be like here in Central Iowa, I wanted to be Keith Murphy. You know, I wanted to be the local news guy and found out that I have a face for radio. So very quickly <laughs> changed into that and went a different direction. But it was something that there was something about radio. I remember hearing Jim Rome for the first time and hearing, you know, the nationally syndicated shows and ESPN radio and just thinking how cool that was where you just get to talk about sports all day long. And I've been very opinionated my whole life. 
thought I knew everything about sports. And I think anybody that went to school with me certainly would would agree that I thought I knew everything about sports and would love to argue about it. So it was kind of a perfect path for me. Uh, done that now, like I mentioned, for 20 years. I was a teacher after I graduated did that and then did sports radio on the side. I've called high school games uh, here in central Iowa now, dating back to 2007 uh, when I moved here. So that's something that that's kind of my resume, if you will. Grew up in Iowa, grew up in North Iowa, up in Osage, and have been a lifelong Hawkeye fan. You know, back in the 80s, it's all we had. We had three channels, didn't have cable out where I lived, and that meant during basketball season on Thursday nights, that was the only sports that you got to see live. During the week where the Iowa Hawkeyes on Thursday nights back then in the Big Ten. So it was a huge deal at the time. Iowa State wasn't on television. There wasn't anything else on television. It was all about Iowa basketball. And that's really where my fandom took off in the mid-80s and where we are today. That's awesome, man. What a I mean, what an awesome background. I love the show. It's it's great. What I admire most about it, and it's not just you, it's a couple of different uh locked on uh pods that I've been listening to is you do try to do it daily. It is absolutely, I know that I'm trying to do a podcast once a week right now, and I'm struggling to come up with stuff just once a week podcast. And you guys are talking about Hawkeyes, every, or you specifically talking about Hawkeyes every day, man. I can't even imagine, you know, trying to rack my brain to come up with something, even 30 minutes for every day. So I very much admire that from you guys for sure. It's a really cool concept, and it's something, you know, the Lockdown Network started the first guy to start it. His name is David Locke. He's the radio play-by-play announcer for the Utah Jazz. Okay. And there were some jazz podcasts out there. He listened to him and he said, I don't know more about these than these guys, obviously, about the team. I'll just start my own. And it kind of took off, obviously, with his background and people knowing him. That really helped. And he developed into what has become now this network where every professional team, NFL, NBA, MLB, and NHL, there's a lockdown. There's over 70 college stations. So regardless of what your affiliation is, whoever your favorite team is, I'm a Twins fan. I'm a Bears fan. Those are my two professional sports teams. So I listen to those lockdown episodes seemingly a couple of times every single week. And they also have kind of the specialty things too. Locked on fantasy football, locked on NBA draft. They have all kinds of things. Locked on Big Ten if you want to get kind of an overview or just then specific college football. So they hit it from all kind of walks there. It's a really cool concept. That's my competition right there, though. It is. It is. Yes, absolutely. But a really cool concept. And there's a new host there. So we'll see if you can knock him out of the water. Oh, man, they just hired a new host. That could have been me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I was listening to a couple of the episodes. Like I said, I was watching a few on YouTube today. You had uh, David Eichholt on. And right at the beginning, I was captivated because you guys were talking about beer as I'm opening a beer right now. Um, I'm interested, though, because I've seen this so much on Twitter and I don't know what it's about and what it's you guys talked about it a little bit but i want you to tell everyone what the swarm beer is all about and how it's connected to the university yeah it's a a really cool concept and something that is coming from the nil collective the swarm collective is the name of it brad heinrichs is, is the guy that runs it and he came up with this concept he is on a couple of the different message boards he's on david eichold's site along with sean bach over at hawkeye insider he's also on tom kickert's site over at hawkeye report and it's something that he's been talking about in the message boards. Hey, I'd love to do this. He said he's reached out to a couple of different breweries and ultimately uh, landed on Exile here in Des Moines. That was the one that wanted to partner up. I talked to the marketing team there along with the owner, RJ, uh, a little bit about kind of their side of things. And they're a bunch of University of Iowa grads. It was pretty easy for them. They said, yeah, we want to do this. We want to get involved. Now, when it first was announced, I was concerned. I'm a very boring beer drinker. 
I like a domestic. I like a Coors Light. I'm happy. Yeah. And before a game, I just want to chug a bunch of them, go in there, get well lubricated, and then holler in the stands. I mean, that's what I yeah. do. I'm not somebody that sits up in the press box. I'm still a fan, though I guess I'm part of the media. And when I heard about this concept, I'm like, it's going to be a gross IPA that I'm going to think is disgusting. It's going to be this trying to be more than what it should be, a tailgate beer, right? And the first time I had it, and it was that night that you saw with David, I was blown away about the taste, about how the drinkability of it for somebody that does not like, I don't need something very hoppy. I don't need all these floral notes on it. I just want a beer that I can chuck, right? That's yeah. all I want. I, I'm not I'm not picky. And that's what it was. I thought they did an incredible job with it. I'm really excited about what it is. And the best part, as Hawkeye fans, he could drink beer and then he make money for the Hawkeye athletes as 20% Perfect. of sales are going to the NIL collective. Uh, they said at Exile, their best-selling beer is Ruthie. And if this sells and they're anticipating it's going to be close from what they've seen here a couple of weeks in, if this sells like Ruthie does, we're talking about a couple hundred thousand dollars that's going to go into the coffers of the NIL Collective every single year. I mean, that's big time. And that's how Iowa gets Caleb Brown and Cade McNamara and is able to go out there and compete at the highest level in the transfer portal. You got to pay in today's environment. And this is something where Iowa fans can help out and have a little beards. I think a win-win for everybody. I hope that nothing changes with it because I absolutely love this concept. All the news that just came out today, for those who don't know, we're recording on, it's June 27th today, the NCAA just kind of came out with some news that they might make some changes about those NIL collectives. I don't really want to get into that because I want to stick to Iowa football, so I hope everything stays the same with Swarm and uh, the beard that they're doing there. It's really awesome. Um, Let's talk about Iowa, though. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the offseason, then we'll get into this season. Um, I heard a lot last year. I saw a lot last year on Twitter about the coaching staff, about uh, Brian Ferentz calling plays. Um, What's the overall feel this year? I know there's excitement around the team, but specifically with the coaching staff, Coach Ferentz and everybody that's calling plays this year, is everyone still excited? Or is there still a little bit of like some hesitation about the offensive play calling this year? I think that still lingers. And until you can really see it, I think it's still going to be prevalent. You know, the last two years have been deplorable. There, there's no other way to put it. It has been as bad as it can be, and it really cratered a season ago. And there's plenty of reasons or excuses, depending on the way that you want to look at it, for the reason that it happened last year. Look, they were decimated by injury at the wide receiver group, a wide receiver group that frankly wasn't good enough for a Big Ten level a year ago, and then they were hit by injuries. The last couple of years, they've had to play a ton of young guys on offensive line. And it doesn't matter who's calling plays. If you can't block It doesn't matter. And we saw that certainly show up the last couple of seasons. But even when the offensive line's been pretty good, even when they've had competent quarterback play, going back to Nate Stanley when Brian Ferentz has been the offensive coordinator, the numbers still haven't been very good. And that's what I continue. That's the lingering doubt that I still have about him is when they had good offensive lines and they had playmakers outside and they had a great running back and they had a quarterback that was at least at minimum solid in Stanley the numbers still just didn't measure up. So that's what kind of the back and forth that I get into. I hope this is more Cade McNamara kind of taking control here and saying, this is the way we're going to do it. And having the young guy tell the old guy, Brian Ferentz, this is the way that we're going to win football games. Because as I look back, you know, I'm sure you've seen those numbers, Kent, over the last five, six years, Iowa, where they rank in the country. We're talking about top 10 in terms of victories, third in the big 10 in terms of victories. They are up there in every single metric yet. They've only won one division title during that time, and it feels like they've left so much on the board 
That's what I come back to. The defense has gone from good to great year after year. The special teams are playing at an elite level, but the offense has been so poor. What could have been, even with an average offense, and I think that's what it is. And when you talk about Brian, can he be the guy? Now, with no more excuses, there's no more. You got a veteran offensive line. You bring in two grad transfers to help out there. The wide receiver room has been replenished, and you have your highest regarded wide receiver in program history, at least in the recruiting era here over the last 25 years. You have a quarterback that's won in the Big Ten, has won a Big Ten title, that's taken his team to the college football playoff, and you could argue, say, Jim Harbaugh's job. You have him at the quarterback spot. There are no more excuses. So it comes down to him, and he's got to prove it here, and not just prove it against Utah State and against Western Michigan and even, you know, at Northwestern or Michigan State. No, he's got to prove it against Penn State and mm-hmm. against Wisconsin. This team, hey, they're going to score on us a little bit, and we need to score 24 points in this game that he can do it as the offensive coordinator against good teams too. Is there a, is there any other option at this point besides Brian calling plays? Or is it just like, obviously, he's going to be doing it this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I'll just ask you bluntly, do you want him calling plays this year? No, I, I, I've been well past this one for a couple of seasons. I am well beyond the Brian Ferentz, give him another shot. I moved on that, but this is also the reality. This is yeah. what Kirk Ferentz wants, and Kirk Ferentz has built up enough throughout his tenure that I guess he kind of has final say. I mean, this is very much a kingdom, and he is the king looking down, and he is telling the athletic director and the past Gary Barton who the new one's going to be, this is the way that it's going to be, but the pressure is there, and I yeah. think Kirk understands that. Brian understands that there are times that that program becomes so insular. I don't think they realize what the outside chatter is by this point. They know the outside chatter. And I think we saw that show up when Brian talked back in the spring in his press conference, you could see that he's kind of over it too. He knows that there's nothing he can say that is going to get people like me that is out on him to get the fan base that is out on him, that we're going to get back on his side. He has to prove it. He knows that. And maybe that's a good thing too. Understanding that, this is over. This comes down yeah. to me, and I I am still relatively optimistic, even with some of those negatives. But could a John Budmeyer, who's now the quarterback's coach there, you know, a guy that doesn't have play-calling experience, would he be better at the job? I think so. I just don't think Brian gets it. Heck of an offensive line coach, coach tight ends in the NFL. I just don't think he knows how to coordinate an offense. And that it's a different job than being a position coach. And that's the thing that's a little bit frustrating because anybody else that has done this over the last seven years wouldn't remain as the offensive coordinator, but it's the last name. That's the reason that he got the job in the first place. And secondly, why he still has the job. That's where the frustration lies. And certainly the concern is still there. Well, he's got weapons this year. You talked about that a little bit. Uh, the transfer portal has been very active in Iowa. Um, everyone knows about Cade McNamara from Michigan. Tell us a couple of names that maybe people that are just casually following Iowa maybe they haven't heard of yet that are going to have a big impact on the team next year? So I start up front. And as I talked about a little bit earlier, what they do up front is going to dictate how this season goes. If they can become even, you know, a top five or six offensive line in the Big Ten, I think this team runs away with the division title. I think that's how important it is for Iowa football. We have the guys that come back. Mason Richmond, people continue to talk about him. He's going to be drafted when he comes out. Connor Colby was mischaracterized last year and misplaced as a tackle. He wasn't. 
But as a guard, I've had a couple of scouts tell me that they believe he can be a fourth or fifth round draft pick, something that is a rarity, certainly for a guard, a guy that doesn't play tackle at the next level. He is that kind of guy and that kind of opportunity. And then you bring in a couple of transfers. First of all, Rusty Feth. If you saw the pictures of him, he looks like an offensive lineman. Big old red beard. He's got the tats up and down the arm. He's going to bring in a little bit of attitude. But the thing I also like about him, he was an all-Mac player. Pretty good. I mean, we're not talking about some elite-level guy that's going to come in there you know, and score in the 90s, a pro football focus or something like that. But he also has versatility. He's played both center and guard. I like that versatility that's going to have. And he's got a little nastiness. And that's something that's been missing on that offensive line. And that may be the most intriguing guy uh, in the portal on that offensive line is Dejon Parker. This is a young man that played up in D2 at Saginaw State, up in Michigan. ton of big-time programs were after him. Athleticism, the unfortunate part, he came in this spring, dinged up, hurt his knee uh, in spring, and wasn't able to go. In fact, I think he only got one practice under his reps, uh, rep before he went under the knife, but he's going to be back. If they can figure that out, if he can be a right tackle for them, you got fifth, fifth inside, along with Colby, along with Richmond, and then Logan Jones making ascension there. I think that's a big one. So in the transfer portal, I think those two guys are definitely under the radar, but they're going to be big pieces. Outside Caleb Brown, he was Ohio State, a top 100 recruit something Iowa never gets at the wide receiver position. He's got speed to burn. Uh, hearing him and Cade McNamara have already really got a really good connection going as the wide receivers went out with Cade McNamara to California here a couple of weeks back and did some practices there. They need that playmaker. They need that dynamic guy on the outside. You know the tight ends are going to be good. And then don't forget about Nick Jackson. I mean, he's got huge shoes to fill at middle linebacker, taking over for Jack Campbell, and you can't replace a guy like that. Not only what he did in terms of playmaking ability, leadership qualities through the roof. I have never heard Kirk Ferentz for four years talk about a player in the kind of terms that he continued to talk about Jack Campbell as a leader. Nick Jackson comes in, an all-ACC player, three-year starter at Virginia. He had over 100 tackles the last couple of seasons with the Cavaliers. He's going to step in, though, and do many of the things, and that kind of replacement I think is going to be a good thing. Somebody with experience taking over at middle linebacker. Nick Jackson's going to lead the Hawkeyes in tackles this year. If he's healthy, he's going to be out there with that defensive line just covering everything up in front of him. He's going to be free to be roaming around and making a bunch of tackles this year. That Nick Jackson's one, don't forget. Plus, he's got a weird number. He's going to be wearing number 10 as a new roster Ooh. just came out. Don't see middle, many middle linebackers wearing 10. I kind of like that one. I like that a lot. I love when like there's they're wearing numbers that they're not supposed to be. I'm also, right. just on a side note, I'm very excited about Jack Campbell. My Lions picked him up, so I'm hoping that he's oh, going to have a, a big guy. rookie year. Oh, yeah. I'm a big Lions guy. Um, I hope that he has a big rookie year. I, they were like, fans, I'm not going to get on a side tangent about that. I'm excited <laughs> about him. I, hope he's, I think he's going to be great forever, so... I'm very excited that we drafted him and um, everything that comes along with that. Is there a guy that, obviously besides Jack, who left, is there a guy that you lost in the portal specifically that you're like, man, I wish we had that guy back next year? There, there really isn't. And okay. I, I, There isn't anybody that is some kind of boy. This yeah. is going to be hugely impactful. Look, you lose anybody, absolutely. Iowa can't afford to lose playmakers. You know, we saw Arlen Bruce a couple of years ago make some plays. He regressed so much last year. He was a huge disappointment. I know people talk about him. You got Keegan Johnson, what we saw from him in his freshman campaign, but he was out there just a couple of snaps last season. And there was also with both of those guys at times where it felt like the frustrations were really permeating through both of them. And 
maybe a clearing of the house, getting, I don't want to say they're malcontents because that, that's just not fair to either of those guys, but a distraction at times. I, I, I think that's fair to say. Now, I understand it from their angle too. You're a wide receiver and you're playing in that putrid offense. Yeah. I, I'd be upset too, right? I mean, it, it's not a knock on the guy and that's not what this is, but more than anything, that's, I think, where most people would go, but I'm kind of fine with it. Yeah, it's silly to say, as a Hawkeye fan, you lose a couple of your only playmakers and and you're fine with it. I just was just because I understood their frustrations, too. I think it was time for kind of everybody to get a clean break from it. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, Nick Jackson on defense. Uh, let's talk about the offense. Cade McNamara, he's here. He's ready to go. You already gave all his accolades. How high are the expectations for him specifically, not the team, but him specifically as a leader and maybe even like stats wise, what are you expecting from him this year a little bit? Well, that is one thing that I've tried to pump the brakes on a little bit because I know there's a portion of the fan base that thinks he's going to go out there, throw for 3,500 yards and 28 touchdowns and four picks and lead them. To the it would be great but it's not going to happen to this offense. It just isn't. I mean, that's not the way that Iowa plays. It's not going to be the thing is. Statistically, what I would look for, obviously, touchdown to interception ratio, that's going to be big. You know, if he can be in that 18 to 5 type of range, something like that, I think they're going to be in really good shape. But most importantly, and something that has been a problem this offense since Brian Ferentz took over seven years ago, has been completion percentage. Just once has a quarterback really over the last 20 years completed 60% of their passes. We're not talking about a high mark. Now, Iowa, yes, does not run a lot of spread. They're not getting it out quick and making those easy completions that helps most everybody's completion percentage. I understand that. But that is a pretty low baseline in today's football environment, 60%. And with Cade McNamara and what he did before at Michigan, the kind of quarterback that he is, and accuracy is the number one component for his game if yeah. they can get a quarterback that can complete 63, 64% of the passes with what they're looking to do, some of the playmakers now they have on the outside, of course, the tight end play that they're going to have. I think this offense, that's where I come back to having some optimism there. So those would be really the two things I'd look, like, look for for McNamara when you're talking statistically. Completion percentage, can he get that thing north of 60%, keep the interceptions down? He's not going to throw for 300 yards a game. We would love to see it. I like to live in reality, and that is not a reality with the way I was built. It's just not going to happen with the way that they are and always looking also to protect the defense, something that they try to do. But I think that's something. The other thing with McNamara, though, is I have never seen a guy that has come in with this chip on his shoulder, the bravado, though, that comes along with it. He's got the confidence, but he gets people to believe. And, Ken, I think we've all seen those guys that are almost playing a part right? That they're, they think that they're in a movie, you know, that they're in blue chips or something like that. And this is the way a quarterback's supposed to be. This is what a leader is supposed to be. He just does it. And people gravitate to him. I talked to a number of Michigan people after he transferred. It's crazy. Every one of them to a T wishes him nothing but the best, how he saved that program that was in the doldrums coming out of 2020. They want to see nothing but success. And they all came back to the same thing. A great dude. Just yeah. an absolute great dude. He is going to be an easy guy to root for. He's going to bring that swagger. Swagger. He's going to have the confidence and chip on his shoulder too. Oh boy, let's see if we can uh, see the Wolverines in the championship game. That'd be something. I'm excited about him. I think that he's a great leader, as you were talking about. But also, he's just a straight up winner. The kid wins. So, like, that's what you want. That's what you want under center right there. And I think that what you were focusing on about his stats, he takes care of the ball so well. 
And, yep. you know, that wasn't Iowa's big downfall last year. It was more just, like, not scoring. But um, right. it's just, like, <laughs> it's still good to have that guy where, um, you know, when I remember watching him at Michigan, it's like he wasn't the guy that, like, when he drops back, you're like, oh, what's going to happen? He, it's just, like, you know that he's going to make the right throw and uh, kind of take care of the ball. But behind him this year um, is Caleb Johnson. And he's going to be the, I'm assuming, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, he's going to be the main guy. He's going to be the guy. It's not going to be by committee. I don't know if I'm right about that, but tell me, what do you think his percentage of the snaps is going to be and uh, kind of a little bit more expectations about him as well? He is as dynamic as a running back as I was had in a really long time. And they had one just a couple years ago in Tyler Goodson. I think the upside of Caleb Johnson is better than that. I have a feeling that he has a chance to be the best running back I was had since Sean Green. I, I think he is has that kind of upside. There were a couple of metrics that came out last year. Had the long touchdown run, one of the non-conference games. It might have been the crazy night uh, night game that went to 2 a.m. against Nevada. And one of those long touchdown runs that he had in that game, he was up at like 23, 24 miles an hour. I don't remember exactly what it was. He was flying. Okay, what does that mean? He was the fastest freshman running back a season ago on that touchdown run. Nobody ran faster. And we're not talking about, you know, 175 pound track kid here. He right. was 210 pounds last year. He's up to 220 now. He's got legs built like tree trunks. He did this behind a terrible offensive line last year. I think this kid has star potential written all over him. Yeah, maybe at times I'm talking myself into the wide receivers and I'm talking myself into what this offense can be. One thing I do know in terms of raw talent, Caleb Johnson absolutely has that. And that's another reason. I just want to see a competent offensive line because I think this dude is the real deal. He's going to put together a monster season and he's going to walk out of there. And we're talking about maybe some lower numbers for McNamara than some people have. Not the case for Johnson. Now, he's got a really good backup in LaShawn Williams. We saw him the last couple of years. Really nice, competent backup. And the other guy that came in last year's class, Jazion Patterson, I think that dude really showed something a year ago. He came in, it was kind of that thunder and lightning combo, right? You go back to the day with Ron Dane and Tiki Barber and, and what the Giants did. It was something similar as at least the way that it was characterized with Patterson. He packed a punch. He played the bowl game against Kentucky. Saw him a couple of times late in the season. He's got a little more juice to him than I anticipated. I thought he was strictly a speed guy. He's got there. I think Iowa is very solid three deep at the running back position. They got a star in Johnson, but two really good backups on top of it. I loved him. Um, I think that people last year maybe overlooked him because of how deep the Big Ten is at the running back position. There's so many good backs. If you weren't sitting down and actually watching Iowa football games, you don't know how good he was, but he was great. And uh, this is only his sophomore year, correct? Yeah, yeah, true sophomore. Yeah, yeah he's going to he, be he took from special. A couple of veterans last year. You know, yeah. LaShawn Williams had been there. Gavin Williams had been there. A couple of guys with experience in front of him. And one thing in Iowa, it is very difficult to unseat guys that have experience, and we saw that happen. I think that shows you exactly what Caleb Johnson has a chance to be. Yes, uh, I can't wait to watch him play again this year. Um, all right, I want to jump right into the schedule, so we're not, uh, so I'm not keeping you all night. I like to do these like four games at a time, kind of see how the yeah. beginning, middle, and the end of the season is going to play out for you. But before I do that, is um, I'd like to tell you what I predicted first. So uh, okay. I have you guys winning the Big Ten West, which I'm sure you're very excited about. I don't know. I I wasn't great at picking games last year, so I don't know. Maybe you're not excited uh -oh. about that. But um, <laughs> I like Iowa a lot this year. I'm very high on them. Um, and I do think that 
It's going to be different in the West. I've said this a couple of times. I think the West is going to be won a little bit earlier, and there's not going to be this mess at the end of the year. I think it's going to be Iowa's to lose basically from the start of the season to the end. Um, I still took flack from Iowa fans because I have you guys going 10-2, and two, and I learned very quickly that um, Iowa State is bad because I did pick you guys to lose against <laughs> Iowa State. I was just thinking, you know, it's early. I did no research on Iowa State whatsoever. <laughs> I just said it's an early game, um, early in the season, I should say. It's on the road. You know, it's somewhat of a – it is a rivalry game. It's in-state and everything. And then um, I have you guys losing to Penn State on the road as well and then winning the other 10 games. So I do want to get your thoughts on those games, but let's start with the first four. So you're at home against Utah State. Like I just said, you travel that next week to Iowa State, and then you're back at home against Western Michigan and then back on the road against Penn State. How do you see the first four games shaking out? Well, I think you bring up something very important there with Iowa State. And though Iowa's won the last couple of games in Jack Trice, you're right, it's a rivalry game. Iowa State took a step back last year. They were 4-8. and eight. And you've heard about the gambling investigation that continues for both Iowa and Iowa State athletes here in the state that was put together by our Department of Criminal Investigation here in the state of Iowa. What I continue to hear is that Iowa State football is going to get pummeled. We're talking oh, about three players offensively, two starters defensively on a team that was 4-8 and eight last year that loses their first first-round draft pick in 50 years. Yeah, that is a yike. So I really believe that Iowa's going to go there and win that game. Of course, Western Michigan uh, and, and the opener, they should cruise in both of those games and maybe then get to the 25-point benchmark that there's for Brian Ferentz this year. <laughs> but the Penn State game, you know, I was out there, I've been out to the Iowa-Penn State game a number of times. It's a fun environment, incredibly difficult to get to. Took an RV out there with some buddies one year. That was an incredible trip. But we were there in 2009. So the year previous in 2008, Penn State comes in on the way to play for a national championship. They were undefeated. They were 8-0. They were cruising. That dominated the first half of the game. That Iowa comes back, pulls a shocker at the end and upsets them and knocks them out of the national championship game. And all we heard the whole offseason leading into 2009 is revenge, payback. They're going to get you. Just wait. It was a whiteout, went to the game, and Iowa physically handled them again. Penn State scored on the first play of the game, and they're on out. Iowa took every single punch, a big block punt, and they won that football game in whiteout conditions against Penn State. We're hearing the same things. Two years ago, the last time Iowa and Penn State played, there were all kinds of injuries for Penn State. Iowa fans at Kinnick Stadium were booing their players because we thought it was them trying to slow down momentum. Every time I would make a play, mm. uh, here's a guy that's laying on the ground once again. Anytime I was trying to play a little quicker and play some hurry up. Afterwards, James Franklin, he was upset about it. And that is all Penn State fans. We're going to be ready. I'm sure you will. I think it's going to be a great game. Right now, I'm going to take Penn State to win it. But for people that think this is going to be some kind of blowout, that revenge is going to matter. Look, revenge only matters until the opening whistle, and then you're just yeah. playing football from there on out. I don't believe that angle. I think it's going to be a great game, but ultimately I have Penn State winning a close one in Happy Valley. Okay, so we go into the next four games. You're back at home uh, against Michigan State and Purdue back-to-back -back weeks, travel to Wisconsin, and then uh, back at home against the team that I think is going to be the worst in the Big Ten West this year is Minnesota. And oh, wow. Also, oh, yeah, yeah. 
That's who I picked. Again, I wasn't great at picks last year, but that's who I got being worst. Um, I hope you're right. I as, so. as somebody oh. that grew up right on the Iowa-Minnesota border, on the correct side of it, here on well, the south side of the border, I, I the Gophers are my biggest rivalry. I have family in Minneapolis. A couple of my cousins went to the U up there. So that's my biggest rivalry. It's my favorite trophy, obviously, playing for Floyd or Rosedale. So I hope you're right. I would love, and I hate Phil Fleck on top of it, I would love to see the Gophers finish in last place in the West this year. And, and it's been great. Kirk Parents has had his number. This is the portion of the schedule, though. If Iowa goes 4-0 in it, this thing's over. I mean, they yeah. have the division title basically wrapped up going into November. Wisconsin's going to be difficult. It's always tough there. That 3-4 defense has absolutely thrown Iowa for a loop a lot of years as we've seen some good Iowa offenses really struggle against the 3-4. But they're going through their own transition now, obviously bringing in a new head coach there, a new system, what they're trying to do offensively. Because of that, I make Iowa the favorite that game, even in Madison. I got Iowa 4-0 in this stretch. I have them going 4-0 in this stretch. I think the Minnesota game is maybe going to be a little more difficult than you. Maybe it's just, hey, Iowa cannot continue to win this game every single year. It's been eight consecutive. But, yeah, I got Iowa 4-0 in this stretch. And this is, again, my optimism meter kind of going through the roof here with this team. But I got them 7-1 through the first eight. I got some tweets bookmarked from uh, Minnesota fans. If they if they do finish last, I'm going to have a field day at the end of the season. <laughs> All right, last four games after the bye week, you ha- uh, travel to Northwestern. Um, Back at home against Rutgers in Illinois, and then the last game against Nebraska, new head coach. Um, I see you guys, like, I have it pulled up on the screen right now. I see you guys finishing 8-0. Do you see any hiccups the last four games? You know, the Illinois game will be difficult. Brett Bielema, former Hawkeye player, former Hawkeye coach, and still got the Tiger Hawk tattoo on his leg. That thing will be with him forever. And the media always likes to bring that up every time these two teams <laughs> get together. When they played a season ago in Champaign, it was one of the ugliest football games you'll either ever see. But he kind of outfarenced Ference in that game and won an ugly one. That one is concerning. Two years ago in Bielema's first year, Illinois is not very good, and they had Iowa down in that game, and outside of Charlie Jones making some big plays both as wide receiver and in special teams, Iowa would have lost that game. In fact, that's one that I do have as an L. I have them losing again to the Illini, which would be senior day for the Hawkeyes there. And though Nebraska's got a lot of work to do, they finally ended their losing streak to the Hawkeyes a season ago. It's turning into a fun rivalry. The fan bases hate each other. There is tons of back and forth that happens there. That's not going to be an easy one either. So as good as I will feel, I think Iowa still will have enough to get to the championship game. I very well could see Iowa limping in there. I'll say at minimum they lose one of those last two games. We'll just put them at one. I'm going to have them 10-2 and two in the season. And if you're a betting man like I am, that means you're cruising over that over total of 7.5. I'm, I'm betting that over. Uh, it's I haven't put it in yet, but I am going to be betting that over. And uh I'm excited about Iowa's season. It's going to be a great year. I'm excited for football to be back. Um, I did want to ask you one last thing before I let you go. I've been asking a lot of people about the new schedule format that just came out, what, about two weeks ago. Um, As an Iowa fan who a lot of the Big Ten West teams, I know you said you only won one division title in however many years it was, but a lot of the Big Ten West teams have benefited to get to a Big Ten championship because they're in the West and with Penn State, Iowa, or I'm sorry, Ohio State and Michigan all in the East. How does that affect your fan base? How does it affect the team when they switch over, get rid of the divisions, and only the top two teams are going to the Big Ten Championship? I think it has to change your goals a little bit because for the last decade since we went to the East-West split, 
the realistic goal for Iowa football every single year is to win the division. Now, they've only done it twice in those eight years, which is the disappointment that I mentioned because I think this program should have more than two division titles during that run. But I think your expectations have to change. And instead of going into the season every single year, hey, we can win this division. We can be there or at least have a chance to do it come November every single year. It's going to be one of those, hey, can we make a run to the championship game every four or five years? And that's the unfortunate part where you're going to have to have a perfect confluence of events to be one of the top two teams. And here's the other thing that's also concerning about it is a team like Iowa, even a team like Wisconsin, Heck, you can throw a UCLA in the mix. If you don't have that same brand name, and we're going to see a lot of times. We're going to see a lot of times where, yes, the number one team is probably 9-0 in conference play, and then we'll have a two- or three-way tie at 7-2. and yep. Well, if it's a three-way tie at 7-2 and two with Michigan, Iowa, and UCLA, Michigan's probably going to get that bid. They're probably going to have that because they have the brand name, they have the cachet, and they'll probably have the preseason ranking that will help them out. So that's going to be a part of it that I will be interested to see how tiebreakers go, the way that it's set up divisionally. I know head-to-head will obviously be number one, but that's something that I think also has to change the expectations for basically everybody in the Big Ten West. I was talking about that uh, last week on my show, actually, and it's interesting that you just brought that up because I was discussing whether if there was a tie and there wasn't a head-to-head, um, I didn't know how the tiebreakers were going to work. And it sounds like, have they decided anything on that? Do you know anything about that yet or not? I don't know offhand. I know in the past it would be you go by record, first of all, common opponent. So if it's a three-way tie, you know, who has head-to-heads in that one? Secondly, it'd be if it's for second place, the team above them, did anybody have a win against the first place team? Yep. And then a lot of times they'll kind of jump down from there. So yeah. say it's that three-way tie. All right, who has a win against the fifth place team and the sixth place team? And going from there, it's not a perfect way to do it. In in a 16-team conference where you're only playing nine conference games, this is going to happen a bunch. And four teams like Iowa, I don't think it's going to be a great thing, unfortunately, the way that it's going to play out. But hey, you're going to get a shot every single year. And speaking of that schedule, I was uh, meeting my buddies earlier today, and we're already planning our road trip out to the Coliseum in 2024, nice. going out to see the Trojans, talking about, you know, we could fly into Vegas on Thursday, then rent a car, come in Saturday morning, you know, do something like that. So, yeah, we're already doing the plans, and I'm going to guess all of our Big Ten brethren are looking at those California trips and seeing when we're going to make our way out there to the left coast. It's going to be fun. I'm excited for them to join the conference. I I like that they changed the scheduling format. I think it's better for the conference overall, but um, I do feel bad for those teams who made like, you know, Wisconsin, uh, Iowa, all the teams out in the West that like might not have as good of a chance. His name is Trent Condon. He's from Locked On Hawkeyes, the podcast. Please go check it out. Subscribe. Trent, thank you so much. This was a blast. Thank you for talking about Hawkeye football with me. And uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to you maybe mid-season about how well the season is going for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Let's hope we're both right. We got a 10-win season coming up and a return trip to Indianapolis. Thanks so much. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Trent. Thank you. Once again, that was Trent Condon from Locked on Hawkeyes. Locked on Hawkeyes. Locked on Hawkeyes. Um, On Twitter, it's Locked on Iowa. A little bit easier to spell. You can find it faster. Um, Trent is on Twitter at Trent Condon. Go ahead and search him up. He does great work. Like I said, five days a week, Hawkeyes talk. If you're a Hawkeyes fan, you're probably already following him, but if you're not, please do that. We got some more great episodes coming up, but tomorrow, 
Don't have a guest. It's going to be me solo. I'm talking all things Maryland football. It's going to be a little bit shorter, so I don't have anyone to ask questions to, but it'll still be fun. Um, We'll have a good time talking about Maryland, everything that's going to happen with their season, my predictions. And then later this week, another guy from Locked On. You'll have to stay tuned. We got Michigan State coming up. That's on Thursday. I forgot who's on Wednesday. I got to check the schedule. I don't have it memorized. It's too many episodes. We're having a blast. Football's coming. We'll see you guys in the future, baby.